What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, the quack attack is back. A sweaty win for the Oregon Ducks last night. Caps a small winning night and snaps the split best of the last two. I'll look back at that game and look ahead to Saturday's action with my numbers on the games. Then it's the 10 teams I think can win the national title and how to look at them from a win probability standpoint relative to the futures market. Finally, a trio of games on the docket on the ice for Friday in Let's Do That Hockey. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell, and we'll start with a little Don't Look Back in Anger, our segment where we look back at the previous night and celebrate and commiserate the results of the night. From a college basketball standpoint, we were 2-2 two and two headed into Oregon and Colorado, and I was ready to be angry. I was ready to be angry with how that game was going. Felt like a game that Oregon could you know, pull away. And it's funny when you're betting these games and you bet, you know, five games and one of them is a really late start and it's kind of the big game of the night for you. You just kind of know that the first four are going to be a split and it's going to come down to that game. And the line between sort of betting for money professionally and betting for entertainment is sort of there because, you know, I probably could have just not bet those first four games. Um, you know, obviously I'm hoping to go 4-0 and or even 3-1, and but, you know, not having the same level of confidence in those games as I did in Oregon over Colorado last night, you almost just rather leave it just to that game. Now, it ends up leaving up to that game anyway, um, so the point is, like, kind of the whole exercise for the first four games is a little bit pointless. That being said, you know, we go to, you know, 2-2, two and two. Uh, we got an outright win with Wichita State, plus a seven and a half. They win on the floor. Same thing with Oregon State, just a two and a half point underdog, but they win outright and really easily. Still don't understand why Utah was favored on the road in that game. Uh, and then the losses. Uh, Penn State has a five point lead over Ohio State, and then one of their best players or one of their most important players on a relatively uh, shallow, a not deep team um, gets carried off. And it goes south from there. And give credit to Ohio State, obviously a team that we like this season, from being in our futures portfolio. Another road win. Another road win in the Big Ten for Ohio State. And that's the type of thing that we're looking for. Because that, to me, I think is the difference with Ohio State versus like a Houston, right? Where both teams favored, you know, medium-sized to quasi-large favorites on the road. And one of them goes in and gets the win, and the other doesn't. Now, I wasn't even necessarily saying that Houston should get the win. We obviously were backing Wichita State plus the seven and a half, but that's the difference, right? One, you know, I thought Ohio State could win the game, but getting five points was a little bit too many, in my opinion, and certainly looked that way when they were actually losing the game. But the difference between a team like Ohio State and a team like Houston facing teams that are sort of quasi on the bubble, you know, could really use a big home win type situations in Wichita State and Penn State is just that, right? Like that's the difference between these two teams. And we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, big picture, um, you know, the 10 teams that I think can win the national championship at this point. Uh, and then Wisconsin. Just another atrocious performance, and I thought you'd get the bounce-back effort here, you know, against another soft team, but of course, you know, 
they don't, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, they can't score against Iowa. Like, they can't make shots against Iowa. That would be a first this season, and of course was. And so Wisconsin is officially on the banned, the banned substance list, if you will, for betting college basketball. But the game that we really want to talk about here is Oregon and Colorado. And this is a game where Oregon, frankly, did not play very well. And they had uh, they had a deficit at halftime. I think it's a five-point deficit. <clears throat> Worked their way back in the second half. And there was a point in this game at and around the eight-minute mark or so uh, where in a span of, i got to think, like six to seven possessions, they kept getting fouled in the single bonus, right? So they're going to the free throw line for one and ones. And first guy up is Frank Kanang, um, who we'll talk about here in a second. But he makes the free throw, but they get called for a lane violation. And he's a guy who's, you know, about a 50 to 60% free throw shooter. And so all you're asking from him is make the first and give yourself an opportunity for the second. And he does make the free throw and they call a lane violation on Oregon. And so the free throw doesn't count. Okay. Next, uh, not ne necessarily next time up the court, but next time at the free throw line, front end of a one and one they've got an 85% free throw shooter in Chris Duarte. They're arguably their best player. He misses the front end of the one-on-one. -on -one. And then he does it a second time, a couple of uh, possessions later. And so hidden uh, statistics here, right? Like that's empty possessions, six uh, points potentially on empty possessions because of kind of outlier situations where Duarte, again, an 85% free throw shooter, misses not just one but two front ends and doesn't even get an opportunity for the second. So in, you know, in the stat book, if you will, it's going to go down as a couple of missed free throws. But those two missed free throws are essentially six missed opportunities at points. And even if, you know, you get the first one, you miss the second one, there's a potential for a possession there as well on an offensive rebound situation. And so that was, to me, the difference between this game being as sweaty as it was at the end and it being, you know, an eight-point game later on uh, in the game, just needing to close that out instead of, you know, I think that game was basically tied with about a minute and a half to go. So uh, a little bit closer than it needed to be from the, you know, from a free throw standpoint. Uh, no Eric Williams Jr. for Oregon, a guy who, you know, averages 11 points per game for them. So yet another game where Oregon's not at full strength. Fortunately, they, of course, pull out the win. Uh, Figueroa, one of six from three. He's a guy who they rely on to hit three-pointers. The team as a whole was four of 17. So again, you're, you're not able to hit, you know, three-pointers and you're still surviving. Now, Colorado couldn't hit one to save their life either, and that's what saved Oregon, given that they weren't playing very well. Um, but the difference is, and it's not a difference between Colorado and Oregon necessarily, it's just a difference between o Oregon and a lot of these other teams, is you need guys to close games out, right? When these, guys, when these games are tied, you need at least one, but essentially multiple guys to be able to close these games. And so with Williams out, then... Uh, Amarui gets uh, gets his fifth foul with about two and a half minutes to go, and it's a tie game. And you're like, how are they going to win this game without one of their leading scorers? And the answer is they have a couple of other guys, right? Richardson and Duarte, and those are the two guys who end up closing this game out. And so that's obviously a great sign for them. They have the, the, the horses, if you will, who are able to... Um, you know, take control of a game, as you know, with basketball in the last two minutes, right? I mean, a lot of it's guard play, but it's a lot of just who's your best guy and is he able to take control? And for Colorado, um, 
pretty good effort. I'm not down on Colorado necessarily. I think relative to price, this is a team that can still go to the regional final, for example. I don't have them as one of my 10 teams that can make uh, or can win the national championship. Um, but again, just looking at this Oregon team, again, you can probably still, depending on your website, or depending on your sportsbook, you can probably still get a decent price on Oregon futures here. Uh, and I would do that. I think they're moving up in the seed line here shortly. You know, we're sitting at a 10 before the game yesterday. I think that's moving up into the eight, nine zone. As we talked about the, the prime goal, the ideal situation is getting up to a six seed. Um, and just looking at this team, right? Richardson, you know, one of the closers, right, had an awesome layup um, and, and uh, you know, converted from the free throw line at the end of that game. And this is a guy who didn't play until February 4th, right? Their point guard, right? They're one of their key guys didn't play until February 4th due to injury. Um, I talked about Frank Kepnang, and he's a guy who should be in high school. And his story, he's a 6'10", uh, really raw player, but you can tell he had talent. There was these different a couple of different possessions that didn't even count because you know you got called for a travel or something along those lines and he was hitting like these mid-range hook shots and at 610 he's obviously a terror defensively and you're just like oh my god that guy's really good and he would be starting on virtually any other team except for he just joined the team on january 9th and he joined the team because he was supposed to be in high school but because of covid his high school team isn't playing this year and he's a top 25 recruit for next year. And he said, you know what? If I can't play in high school, I might as well enroll early to Oregon. And he's coming off the bench because, of course, you know, who, you know, who's he going to come, you know, whose starting spot is he going to take, given the fact that he just showed up last month. But you watch this guy play and you're like, that guy is a problem on the defensive end and actually has, you know, some incredible skills, uh, you know, in the offensive end. And you wonder, like, are they, they trying to keep this guy a secret as best they can because he might end up in the draft next year as one of these sort of prototypical NBA big men who, again, has a ton of develop uh, developing that he has to do. But, you know, in the NBA, that's kind of what they want. And so you know, I think they get him for the rest of the season and probably next season as well. But I don't think he's necessarily long for college basketball. Um, as for Friday, uh, nothing on the board in the sort of power conferences. I'm sort of kind of looking at Utah State plus one and a half at Boise. Was looking at it the other day when they had you know the first game of this sort of back to back and didn't play it. Boise State ended up winning, so great news. We didn't play it. We didn't take a loss there. But um, a little bit tempted to get into it, but probably just going to leave it for Friday. As for Saturday, what we're going to do here, we're going to do a little rundown of the big games on Saturday. And I did this a lot last year where, you know, on Friday we just kind of go in and I talk about what my numbers are. We don't have lines up for these games, so obviously I can't, you know, give a pick or anything along those lines. I can just sort of say what the number is that I'm hoping for, what the number that I make it is, et cetera, et cetera, the, the side that I'm leaning to. Of course, I'll give out the plays on Twitter on Saturday morning, as we always do, but at least this allows us to kind of talk about it beforehand, given that there's just not that much going on in college basketball on this Friday night, unless you're deep into the lower-level conferences, like our boy Andy Molitor, who was on the show yesterday. Hopefully you caught that interview. That was fun talking to him, um, and just a passion for 
uh, sort of lower level college basketball that he and I share. So let's get into it. Um, and who knows how many of these games by the time this airs, how many of these games are going to be postponed. But Michigan State and Indiana, I've got this number at six. Uh, Indiana was a five-point favorite to Minnesota. I don't know that Michigan State is any better than Minnesota is. Minnesota, obviously, a bad road team. Doesn't have a road win all season long. So I don't know that it can be that much different. I'm sort of leaning higher here with Indiana. If it's anything lower than that, I'm happy to take Indiana because at this point, Michigan State, again, just has shown nothing but um, being pure fade material. They were five-and-a-half-point underdogs at Purdue. Um, So, again, not covering that game, I don't know that you can make them five, five and a half. I think it has to be a little bit higher than that, but we'll see where that number goes. Georgia Tech and Miami here. I have Georgia Tech as a small favorite on the road here just because I don't think that we're at a place where Miami can be, you know, basically a pick em here or sort of within one point. So I have it a little bit higher on Georgia Tech. Uh, if it is any higher than that, I would be looking to back Miami as the home underdog in this spot, but we'll see where that goes. Uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. This is interesting, right? Because Kentucky obviously sort of a poor reputation all of a sudden this season. And Tennessee, you know, very strongly in the tournament, sort of a top 10 adjacent type team. And so it's... It's tricky to make this number because from a win-loss standpoint, like Tennessee should be heavily favored because there's a lot of teams with better records that Tennessee's going to be a bigger favorite than. But, you you know, Kentucky's issue hasn't been getting blown out. It's just been not being able to win the game in the end. And they ended up getting sort of run out by Tennessee late in their game a couple of weeks ago. But, you, you know, Kentucky was in the lead for much of that game. So, I mean, I've got that number around seven and a half. I think that's a number that I would take Kentucky at, at plus seven and a half, thinking that, again, they can keep this game close. Vanderbilt and Alabama here. Vanderbilt playing a lot better basketball, but again, we're talking about a potential number one seed in Alabama, a team that can put up 100 plus points on Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt going to put up 80 or 90 points. That doesn't seem particularly likely. So I've got this number at 13 right now. Uh, again, no play at that number, but again, if it was a little bit lower than that, I would take Alabama thinking that they're going to, again, put, throw down 100 points uh, like they did against Georgia last week. UConn and Villanova, another really tricky line, and there's going to be a lot of these, actually, and there's a lot of them that are sort of in this mid-range zone here of 5.5 to 7.5 points, which is our sort of favorite little pocket because of how often we win on the money line when we take a, a dog in that area. So it should be an interesting exercise just from that standpoint. Obviously, Wichita State, by the way, uh, another money line of uh, a team that was at plus seven and a half uh, on the point spread. But for me here with James Booknight back, what do you make this number with UConn? Because they obviously looked a lot better this week with him back in the lineup than they did previously. And so I've got Villanova as seven and a half point favorites here, and I think I would take those points if that ends up being the number, certainly if it was any higher than that. Texas Tech, another interesting game on the road at Kansas. Really fun Saturday so far. Uh, I've got Kansas as two, two and a half point favorites, just out of the respect of what Kansas is sort of, you know, how Kansas has played here essentially in the last few games. And I don't think you can make them a home underdog at Allen Fieldhouse, 
And so I might be a little bit high just based on the way that they've played here. But at two and a half, I think that becomes a very interesting line. Anything on either side, and I can start talking myself into Texas Tech, right? To, or, or to whatever team, uh, you know, is shaded the other way. And so, you know, if it goes to Kansas minus three, then obviously Texas Tech at plus three seems pretty interesting. If Kansas is, it's a pick em, or they are even an underdog, they become very interesting. Uh, Missouri and South Carolina. Missouri on the road here, and I can't go any higher than sort of the standard three and a half based on the fact that, frankly, I don't really like this Missouri team right now. Now, I definitely don't like South Carolina, and that's why this number, I think, has to be three and a half, because if it's any lower than that, then I'm probably going to get dragged into Missouri at that point. And if it's any higher than that, you know, it, it's just not something that I'm willing to trust Missouri. Uh, NC State and Wake Forest. NC State minus two and a half here is my number on the road, which again, a little bit terrifying with making NC State a road favorite. Big win for them on the road against Pittsburgh, though, earlier on this week where we had Pittsburgh. You know, we said we'd tip our cap if they got a road win against a pretty decent team in Pittsburgh. Um, Wake Forest, not a particularly de decent team, um, but, you know, at two and a half here, I think then, you know, that becomes a stay away and anything on either side um, becomes attractive to the opposite, uh, you know, looking the opposite way with a little bit of value. Uh, Notre Dame and Syracuse. I'm just, I'm not playing this game. You can't make me. I've got the number at four and a half. It's probably going to open a little bit higher. Could you, you know, sell me that Notre Dame could win this game outright? You absolutely could. Could you sell me that Syracuse blows them out? You could do that too. Again, this is a no Syracuse zone unless there's some massive discrepancy in my number compared to, um, you know, what the market ends up deciding. Uh, another great game. Hopefully it happens. We start getting into these games in Texas and we're keeping our fingers crossed that we're going to be able to play these games. And by the way, hopefully everybody's okay down in Texas. West Virginia at Texas. I've got this as just one and a half here, minus one and a half for Texas. I'm not just not a buyer on this Texas team. I am a buyer on this West Virginia team. So again, if we could get more than one and a half, we'd gladly take that with West Virginia. Georgia and Florida this is another interesting one. Not necessarily because, you know, it's some great matchup or anything like that. Florida, I've got this number at minus eight and a half, but I think I would take Georgia plus the eight and a half. I don't trust Florida in, the, in a way here. Um, I believe coming off of a COVID break here, off the top of my head, I can't remember even Florida's last game. Uh, Illinois and Minnesota. Illinois, I've got, you know, again, this is Minnesota at home. So there's just sort of this undefinable quality. I mean, the, the quality is that they're a better home team than they are a road team. But sort of how do you factor that into the point spread? And so, you know, they could be live to win this game against Illinois, but they're certainly not going to be favorites and it's not going to be a particularly short spread. I have this at Illinois minus five and a half and we'll see where the number ends up. But, you know, again, anything a little bit lower than that, I'll trust Illinois because I am high on them, obviously. You guys know that, you guys know that by now. And if it's a little bit higher, then, you know, we can get into a zone here at, say, a plus seven where Illinois can still win the game and do so relatively comfortably. Uh, one thing with Minnesota issue for them is Gabe uh, Kalsher is out for this one. He's sort of one of their better shooters. 
Um, kind of a key guy, obviously, if you're trying to hang with Illinois. Auburn and LSU. LSU, I've got as a six-point favorite here. I'm probably a little light because, again, I have you know more of a regard for Auburn from a talent standpoint than most, but we'll see. Stanford and Washington State, another tricky one, right? Because, again, we've got a bunch of Stanford numbers that aren't based on the team that they're putting out on the court uh, at this point. And Washington State, you never know who they're going to have. They were shorthanded again last night. So I've got Stanford minus five and a half here. You know, not starting a string because we just had a couple that were in the five and a half six zone, but part of a string of games here. We're just a ton of five to six to seven point spreads. Same thing here with Florida State. I have them as a road favorite, five points uh, at Pittsburgh. Again, is this a spot where Pittsburgh pulls off an upset win? Certainly kind of feels that way, especially after Florida State's just massacring of Virginia. We could get a little extra value just based on that destruction job from Monday night. Kansas State and TCU, a rematch of a game where TCU was like a two and a half, three point favorite on the road to Kansas State. That was appalling back then. But Kansas State, again, hasn't shown much that would indicate that that should be, there should be any sort of correction there. So I expect the line to be about seven, seven and a half for TCU. Probably not a game that I'm necessarily going to get involved in, unless, of course, the number's off. And I think there's a couple points of value. Purdue and Nebraska. Purdue goes on the road to a Nebraska team that just played back to back with Maryland. Talked at length about those two games over the course of this week. I've got Purdue as a six point road favorite. That's probably a little bit high, to be honest with you. If it was six, I would look at Nebraska. Uh, Seton Hall and Georgetown. Georgetown, I essentially have this as a pick'em here. Again, don't particularly trust Seton Hall on the road, uh, but wouldn't want to be laying anything of significance with Georgetown of, over a possession, for example. Louisville and North Carolina, another tricky game, right? Is Louisville actually going to play? You know, they have been on a COVID break. Is this going to be a grab North Carolina in the first half type situation because of the COVID break? Maybe. I've got this number at North Carolina minus four and a half. So a first half number is kind of interesting at, uh, you know, something around the long, long lines of minus two, minus two and a half, three, something like that. Uh, Oklahoma at Iowa State. Uh, I've got this as eight and a half here for Oklahoma. Tricky team because they don't have the same branding necessarily that Kansas has. When Kansas goes to Iowa State, they're 10, 11 and a half point favorites. Well, I don't know why Oklahoma wouldn't necessarily be the same. I don't know that Oklahoma and Kansas are that much different. But just from a branding standpoint, I think we're looking at a little bit of a lower spread here with Oklahoma. Mississippi State and Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi, I think, better team at home. I think that's good enough for about four and a half points uh, in this one. Again, some of these Ken Palm numbers are so tricky with some of these teams that I don't know that you can just sort of blindly follow that uh, when looking for value at this point in the season. Obviously, Oregon is our poster child for that type of thing. Uh, Arizona and USC, really fun game. Looked a lot more fun before Arizona got smoked by UCLA last night. Um, my number here for was USC minus two and a half. I think it ends up higher than that, and I can't even... Um, I can't even really argue with that. I think this is a sell type situation now with Arizona. We're getting towards the end of their season, not playing in the conference tournaments, obviously not playing in the NCAA tournament here, and they can see the end of the uh, end of the season here. And so um, I'll be looking to back USC, even if it's at an inflated number of like a three and a half or four and a half, something along those lines. Just a situational here, having watched um, 
Arizona uh, over the last few games. DePaul and St. John's. I got St. John's a nine and a half point favorite here. Uh, we were a winner with DePaul the other night. Um, probably not going to try, try our hand with DePaul yet again. Uh, so probably going to leave that one alone. Virginia and Duke, another interesting game because all of a sudden Duke looks good and they got rid of Jalen Johnson. Was that sort of cutting out? I don't want to call it a cancer because he's a kid and that's, you know, he doesn't deserve that. But is it one of these, you know, addition by subtraction type things? Obviously, Jim Beheim thinks so. What a douchebag that guy is. Because, you know, as much as we might sit here from a betting standpoint trying to handicap this team and go, like, maybe they're better off without him, if you're an opposing coach, you don't say something like that. You just don't do it. Even if, like, in a way, you might be right. You just don't do it. Um, I've got this number at Virginia minus one at this point. Because, again, what have we seen from Virginia? Not that much going on the road against any decent level team. And if Duke's going to play like a decent level team, again, Still might not be good enough for an NCAA tournament bid. I frankly say hopefully it's not because that's going to be confusing if Duke gets into the tournament as an 11 seed. You know, Duke and North Carolina, 11 seeds in the east and west bracket. You're like, what? That is going to be brutal. Uh, Colorado and Oregon State here. Again, Oregon State, big win. Colorado, potential letdown spot here. I've got this number and it's probably too high. I've got this at like eight because you know they obviously listen three-point underdogs to oregon sort of a correction there from an oregon market standpoint but colorado was essentially a pick em against stanford on the road so yeah that number is a little bit high at this point i actually expect it to be closer to like five um and if it is i'll look for colorado for a bounce back spot in this one arkansas and texas a&m Arkansas minus four and a half is my number for them on the road. They've won a bunch of games in a row. Texas A&M, not very good, but this is one of those games where, you know, total letdown spot, afterthought game here for Arkansas as they've sort of gotten some attention here from getting hot down the stretch. Uh, Utah, Oregon, tough spot for Oregon, right? Getting back up against a Utah team that got smoked by Oregon State after the big win against Colorado. That said, you know, you'd think they would play better. You'd think they would shoot better. They'd have a little bit of better luck on the free throw line, all of that kind of thing. I've got this number at eight and a half, a bit heavy to lay here um, after a big game like they just had. Uh, so probably a stay away unless this game ends up lower than that number. And then finally, Arizona State at UCLA. Um, this number, is going to creep up my sort of raw numbers are two and a half here for ucla and depends on who's playing for arizona state obviously they've been without a bunch of different guys bagley christopher etc and so uh, that can go a bunch of different ways right if none of those guys plays number ends up being seven and a half eight and a half something along those lines if those guys are all of a sudden back and like good to go you know then i think you have to get a little bit more reasonable here um with regards to ucla being a shorter favorite uh as promised want to talk about the 10 teams that i think can win the national championship before we get to let's do that hockey and so you know talked obviously about futures and this isn't that conversation because futures it's like there's a difference between somebody being 100 to 1 somebody being 50 to 1 and some being somebody being 10 to 1 but we do have to look at the market to sort of start the conversation because as andy molitor brought up yesterday talking about Gonzaga and Baylor and sort of everybody else and that concept. And I don't disagree with that concept, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these teams are guaranteed to win the tournament. 
And so if you look at your futures market right now, you're probably going to see Gonzaga, you know, under a plus 300. You're probably going to see Baylor just over a plus 300. But let's just say they're both at plus 300 if we're talking about this, these two teams as a 1A, 1B, which I think is a little bit more fair than saying like, oh, Gonzaga should be you know, more highly favored than Baylor. I just don't think that that's accurate. And if you had to pick one of the two futures based on the price, I would take Baylor right now because you're getting a little bit better value. That being said, I don't think you're getting really particularly good value on either team. He mentioned that he had a Gonzaga future, but he told me that it was 10 to 1. And so it's not like he had just bought this like two days ago. So if point is if they're both at plus 300 for the ease of use from a mathematics standpoint that means there's a 25 percent chance in the market that gonzaga wins and there's a 25 percent chance in the market that baylor wins which obviously means there's a 50 percent chance that one of those two teams wins now you could go around and ask a bunch of different people hey do you think that that's the you know that's a fair price etc etc and if you want to you can go ahead and you know cook up a gonzaga and baylor versus everybody else type of bet and end up getting a little bit of plus money on it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. Feel free to do so, right? Because if you took 100 and you bet it on Gonzaga at plus 300, you'd win 300 back. And if you took 100 and you put it on Baylor at plus 300, you'd win 300 back. And in both cases, you'd lose uh, 100 out of that. So you're essentially betting 100 to win back, uh, you know, obviously uh, 200. So you could create that bet assuming you get both those prices and if you have different books and maybe one of them has Gonzaga favored and one of them has Baylor favored, you could do a little bit better than that. I don't actually particularly hate that necessarily other than the fact that this is the NCAA tournament and crazy stuff happens. And so the favorite doesn't always win. Frankly, a lot of the times it doesn't. And so what do we do with regards to the rest of the teams? Well, we've talked about who we have holstered here in our um, you know, futures portfolio. That being said, who's actually going to win this tournament if not Gonzaga and Baylor? Who is going to make up that other 50%? If the market is sitting around and has long decided that it's a 50-50 proposition that Gonzaga or Baylor are going to win the NCAA tournament, who makes up that other 50%? And I think everybody else kind of is in just this cluster where forget about what the odds are. Everybody's kind of the same. I think Villanova, for example, as sort of the third team in here michigan's you know in contention for that as well from my standpoint i don't know that there's a difference between them and alabama or illinois or some you know some of these other number one seeds and so i think all these other teams that we're going to talk about here eight other teams have about a six percent chance of winning the national title and then it becomes if you're betting what difference does that make like what's the difference between that six percent and you know the price that you're getting from a futures standpoint right because obviously like five percent is a 20 to 1 type team so you'd obviously need better than 20 to 1 to have value on a six percent chance team so in the case of villanova and michigan you're not getting that right now which is why we're not advocating a a bet on Villanova and Michigan, despite them being two teams that I think can win the national championship at about a 6% frequency of the time for each team. I think Ohio State is a team that can win the championship at a 6% of the time rate. So when we got them at 50 to 1, you know, three weeks ago, when I spoke about the NCAA tournament futures on that podcast from, you know, that Friday in between, uh, you know, 
championship weekend and Super Bowl in the NFL, obviously they've improved by basically just winning every game and they've kicked their way up to a, you know, projected number one seed. Sunday, by the way, worth mentioning, Michigan and Ohio State on Sunday afternoon, I believe a CBS game. Very excited about that game. Total showdown of two teams that whoever wins that game, I think, takes over into a number one seed type spot. And the other team probably gets bounced down to a two seed, again, with a handful of weeks left to go in the season. Um, Alabama and Illinois, right? The two teams that I have invested in since August um, at 6% each here, those 100 to 1 level bets, uh, pretty great. Right, right now, in some cases, depending on where you look, some cases they're below uh, 20, uh, 20 to one, and in some cases they're above twenty to one, but they're rated right around that sort of five to six percent of a chance level. And again, to be able to get them at that good price and have that sort of evolve over the course of the season is outstanding. So that's seven teams so far. The last three teams are sort of in that darker horse type region, um, in at least from an odd standpoint. Florida State. All right, obviously got a lot of attention from beating Virginia, a team that we talked about as part of our portfolio earlier on in the season during that episode. A team that, again, always flirting with a regional final and Elite Eight appearance, have struggled to break through for a Final Four. I think this is, I don't know that this is necessarily the year for that, but I don't know that this is any better or worse than any of the other years that they've looked incredible in the tournament only to fall to, you know, oftentimes a better team, right? Whether it was Michigan the year they went to the finals against Villanova, whether it was against Gonzaga, I believe that was the year that they went to the finals against North Carolina. And so I just, you know, obviously once the bracket comes out and we get different matchups and, you know, all that sort of thing, and maybe there's just a spot where it's like, okay, it's going to happen to them again. And they're obviously not going to be a one or necessarily a two seed. They were out of the top 16 in that, preliminary bracket reveal last Saturday. I think by the time the season ends here, especially through the ACC tournament, assuming we have one in the more, most traditional way we do, I think they end up in a top four type seed. And so again, will be interesting to see where they go, but that's a team that can end up winning the national championship. And before I get to these last two teams, it's worth mentioning that when I'm talking about win, you know, I'm literally talking about winning the national championship. I'm not talking about getting to the final four because there's going to be a laundry list of teams that we'll sort of reference here in a second that can get to the final four. But there's a difference between getting to the final four and winning the whole thing. And as simply as you can sort of put it, the difference is, Winning four games in a row versus winning six games in a row. And winning four games in a row in arena-type settings and then winning two games on that literal big stage that a lot of these teams that have made Cinderella runs, whether you want to call you know Butler, um, I would even reference like South Carolina, remember when they went to the Final Four? Like these teams find their way into the Final Four, but by the time they make the trip and they get there, and listen, a lot of years, right? Every other year, it's a lot more pomp and circumstance that it's going to be this year. They're already going to be in Indianapolis, so it's going to be a little bit different that said it's uh it's just such a different stage and winning those two games against the top teams in the country you can't trick your way to a national championship unless you're UConn 
Um, you can't. You can. You can kind of trick your way to the final four, right? An upset happens. You know, you you win. You know, you're a six seed. Okay, you beat the eleven seed. Maybe it's you know a bit of a scare, something along those lines. Then you're supposed to play the three seed. Oh, what the fourteen seed beat the three seed? That's great news. Now all of a sudden I'm into weekend. You know, into the second weekend, and you know maybe a couple other upsets happen. You don't have to face the number one seed. You know that kind of thing. But to get to the title, to win the title in those last two games, it's a different story. And so part of it is an eye test thing. If you, you know, do you look like a team getting off the bus, getting on the court that can play in that situation? Do you have the guys to do it? That's the difference here than sort of what we're talking about with regards to futures, where in some cases we're just trying to get a team to the regional final or the final four. So the last two teams, West Virginia, and what do a lot of these teams have in common, right? Mark Few, Scott Drew, Jay Wright, Juwan Howard, Chris Holtman, Nate Oates, Brad Underwood, Leonard Hamilton, Bob Huggins, all really good coaches, right? Nobody kind of just rolling the ball out and hoping for the best. And a lot of these teams, what they have in common is that they do both things well, right? They play good offense and they play good defense. In some cases, a little bit better offense than they play in defense, right? Villanova, 89th right now in efficiency from a defensive standpoint, but the offense is so good, fifth overall in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency, that you know, a lot of that can be sort of hidden, right? And obviously, if they have a really good route, whether it's a one seed or a two seed, that increases their, you know, chances of, uh, or should say decreases their chances of getting upset, right? It increases their chance of being one of those teams on that big stage. And I think so highly of Jay Wright that I think by the time they get to that stage, they can win two games on that big stage. Uh, Chris Holtman and Ohio State. They're 57th defensively. But I think if you watch that team and you don't go on the road and just outscore teams all the time. It was a little bit of that situation against Penn State last night, but by and large, that's not really um, how you win road games. So I think that's a little bit misleading. Um, Alabama, actually, strangely enough, 25th overall from an offensive efficiency standpoint. And you don't think that with Alabama, the way they shoot the basketball with all five guys on the floor able to hit three-pointers and the way they can throw 100 points on you uh, without much effort. The fact that they're second defensively uh, in the efficiency is uh, incredible. Um, Florida State, what do you think of them, right? Defense first, best team defensively, along with Virginia in the ACC. They're 41st right now in the country. I think a lot of that has to do with a lack of focus in some of these games where they're blowing teams out and, you know, these things can kind of get lost in the wash. Point is, West Virginia. What do we think of when we think of West Virginia every season, right? Defense, all right? Obviously, press Virginia. It's not like that the way that it used to be. It's really more uh, half-court type of game now with West Virginia. You don't think of them as an offensive team. They are 10th offensively in Ken Palm's ratings, 62nd defensively. So if my issue is being worried about West Virginia defensively, that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense, does it? Not for me. Uh, in McBride, they have a closer type guy. They have more shooters than they've ever had before. And of course, they have the front court players, the big guys, the guys who scare you when they get off the bus. Uh, so I like them as a team that, again, if they got to that stage, they could win the NCAA tournament. And then finally, you're not going to be surprised by this. It's Oregon. 
Oregon is a team, again, Dana Altman, right along the lines with all of those other coaches, three-time Pac-12 co uh, Conference Coach of the Year in 11 seasons, right? Like you would think they would get bored giving Dana Altman the Coach of the Year, but just hasn't been the case. I think by the time we get to the end of the Pac-12 tournament, as I've said a billion times here already so far, essentially in the last week, you know, I think you're going to have them in a sixth type seed where they end up as like a favorite against a three seed. And once they get to the final four, again, there's 10 teams here. They're not all going to get to the final four, but this is a team that can beat these other teams, right? These are te this, this is a team that on a good day can beat Gonzaga, can beat Baylor. And that's fundamentally what we're talking about here beyond anything else, because listen, if Gonzaga and Baylor are on the other side of the bracket, and they walk their way to the final four, as a lot of people sort of assume, as the odds sort of indicate, then we have to find these two other teams. If they're going to win the tournament, each one of them is going to play. You know, the first game of the day is going to be blah, blah, blah against Gonzaga. The second game of the day is going to be blah, blah, blah against Baylor. So who are these teams that can beat them? I think those eight teams are the teams that could, on a good day, beat them. Now, if we're giving 6% to those eight teams, uh, you know, each individually has a probability for winning the national championship, then that's 48%. And we've got 50% for Baylor and Gonzaga. We need two more percent, right? And so this, obviously, these other teams are in that 2% category, but they all cluster together for 2%. So it's not each team has a 2% chance. It's all of these other teams have that 2% chance. And that's the, you know, Connecticut uh, Shabazz Napier team, right? That's the, you know, the Butlers of the world, uh, the VCUs, the teams that make the Final Four and sure, like have a chance to win the tournament because they're there, but not all that likely. And so in this case, uh, the top seeds, Iowa, right? We don't think much of them. Talked about that defensively. It's a mess. Fran McCaffrey, I don't trust to, you know, uh, do anything. Um, I trust a little bit more um, in Houston. But again, I thought the difference was pretty glaring last night in I need my teams to go on or on the road and I don't even need them to cover the number because I understand what the point spread means, right? It's, a, it's an affectation of um, probability or public perception. And it's like, okay, yeah, Houston is seven and a half or maybe 10 and a half points better than Wichita State. But are you focused to the level of being able to cover that number? And in last night's case, they weren't focused enough or better enough than Wichita State to actually win the game. Whereas Ohio State was, right? They could stay locked in. They got a little bit fortunate because of the injury on Penn State, but they were able to win that game on the road. I don't see that being the case with Houston. Texas is a team, again, it's part of the deal is the sort of overrated nature of Shaka Smart. I don't know that there's just, an, they have the, the sort of three guard lineup that is pretty good, that will get them a long ways. I just don't think they can win against some of these, the 10 teams essentially, uh, once they get to the big stage. I don't think they can get two wins in that situation. Same thing with Tennessee. We've seen it over and over. This is not Rick Barnes' best team. This is a very good team. Rick Barnes always has very good teams. It's just not one that I think can win against these big boy teams on the big stage. Virginia, I think we saw against Florida State, issues against incredibly athletic teams. Texas Tech, they don't have a game changer like they did with Culver, who ended up going, I think, believe top five in the NBA draft. There isn't that guy on that team. And then throughout the rest, it's Wisconsin, boo, Creighton, where's the defense? Oklahoma, Kansas, again, pretty decent teams who will get wins at home against some of these teams, but they're not playing at home. They are not big stage type teams. USC, interesting because they're in the top 20 in Ken Palm and both offensive and defensive 
uh, rating. That being said, I just don't buy it. I'm not, you know, buying into that team. North Carolina, obviously, they're going to be, you know, having major issues. Their guard play is not very good, and their path is going to be brutal as a 10 or 11 seed if they even make it. Colorado, I think, again, the difference was uh, seen last night. They are a very good team. I think they can get to a regional final, but I don't think they can beat one of these top 10 type teams. Missouri, Duke, obviously, you know, highly still somehow in the mix with regards to their rating uh, and their odds, but they're not going to win the national title. Stanford, and the last one I want to talk about was Loyola, a team that, again, very good, been to a Final Four a couple of years ago, but just not going to be the team that is, you know, going to get there and then win the national title. They could get there, again, with a decent path, with some good breaks, the way they did a couple years ago, just not all that likely when it comes to winning the title. So that's the story from College Basketball. Hope you enjoyed that, which means we still have one more bit of business to take care of here on a Friday. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Yes, thank you very much, Laszlo. So let's do that hockey. Uh, last night, one and one last night, actually for a small win. Uh, had two previews up on the Action Network. The Columbus one went literally as good as it could possibly have gotten with the exception of a little bit disappointed in columbus's offensive generation didn't do a ton um five on five uh each team had five high danger chances at even strength so a little bit disappointed from that standpoint but from a goaltending standpoint right elvis merzlikens comes back you know again got a period in against in that crazy game against carolina where they got blown out seven to three and you know i talked about how it was nice to at least he got some run there in that one and that i think did him well in the shutout last night against nashville and on the flip side you see saros continues to play not very good hockey at this point giving up uh what two goals on like t the first 20 shots something along those lines um i believe there was an empty netter for the three nothing uh win um but again, right, like that's in large part the difference. Nashville, you know, these teams are pretty similar. Nashville doesn't have an offensive catalyst. Columbus does. We're going to be looking to jump back on Columbus as well. Uh, not a you blew it situation, um, as we sort of talk about with regards to teams that if they play well enough in the first game of the back-to-back -to, -back to win, but they don't. You know, you think you're getting value on them the second time around because you're like, oh, yeah, they played with that team, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're getting good value at plus, you know, whatever. And then they actually don't win the second game because the better team played, you know, even better than they did in the first game. I think that ends up being the situation on Saturday. That's a sneak preview of a little of uh, of a preview that I'll have up on the Action Network for tomorrow's game. Uh, the loss, and this is sort of the opposite, where total cluster F from a preview and trying to figure out what's going on type situation, Ottawa and Toronto. So, you know, we're looking about, okay, what's the situation with the goaltenders? Because if it's Anderson and it's Murray and they play the way that they did in the second game, the game on Wednesday night, you know, we're going to want to take the under here because that was a very close to the vest type of game. Well, then we find out, okay, it's not Anderson. Someone other than Anderson is actually going to get to play um, for a change. And in this case, it's Hutchinson, and he gives up a couple of shady goals, and it's exactly what you would expect. Problem is, Senators then start Hogberg. And of course, you know how we feel about that guy. He gets hurt after one goal, and so you're actually thinking like, oh, this is kind of great news. You know, he <laughs> hate that the guy's injured. 
I guess. But from a betting standpoint, like we much prefer a Murray versus Anderson matchup. Problem is, didn't look like Matt Murray was that interested in playing in that game. That he was told he was getting the night off and m mentally uh, was you know, taking the night off. And so he ends up giving up six goals. And obviously the under never had a chance, but we never bet that thankfully because of the goaltending situation. But I did take a sort of three quarters of a unit approach on Ottawa because the line was still at about plus 250, plus 240, even without Anderson in net. And so, you know, we're getting Hutchinson, a guy who, you know, Toronto doesn't trust at all, or they would have put him in at some point in the last 14 games that Anderson had played consecutively uh, to the point where he needed not just a night off where he would be the backup goaltender, he needed a night off where they didn't even suit him up. And so, not that they were waving the white flag necessarily on the game, but like they were willing to take their chances um, with him in the net, which of course sort of tells you how you're going to play too, right? It's going to be uh, a more up and down type of a game. Um, but from an expected goal standpoint, five on five, each team slightly above two, about uh, 2.14 and 2.17, something along those lines, don't have the, those numbers right at hand. But effectively sort of a coin toss coin toss type of game between the um you know even strength play and uh obviously not from a scoring standpoint Tor you know toronto converts a couple uh, high danger chances ottawa doesn't uh toronto gets a couple you know power play goal and all of a sudden you know the game is in that actually same zone of five to one the way that it was on monday of course everybody kind of goes oh this is gonna happen again and no it didn't because um, you know, Ottawa got a couple of goals, but again, the goaltending was, uh, was just going to be a problem from the get-go. Um, so again, uh, end up winning a unit, down a little bit of a unit. So overall winning night, especially when you factor in the college basketball stuff. So at least the, the streak on the ice continues. And listen, when you bet a plus 240 play, especially one that we weren't really intending on doing, going back to Monday, especially after winning Monday, you know, you go, okay, I'm expecting to lose that game, right? And if, you know, we have a little streak going in the Canadian division, in the North division, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, we have to protect that streak. I'm not going to take this value with Michael Hutchinson as a minus 300 favorite. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And so, again, we take a little bit uh, of a loss on that game. But again, thankfully, the one that we really liked uh, that went according to plan, was Columbus uh, in that one. As for Friday, there's actually some games here for us. There have been nights, uh, Friday nights, especially, I believe, last week, where no you know, no team in the North plays because they play so much on Saturdays. And same thing with regards to the Central. So we do have a couple of games here, three overall. Um, two that I wrote previews for on the Action Network, so you can look deeper into that um, over there on theactionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. But Florida and Detroit, and it's not going to surprise you, I'm back on Detroit. This is a team that we're going to be betting on a lot this season because we're going to be constantly getting plus 150 type prices against these relatively mediocre teams in the Central Division. And Florida, you know, I talk about how, you know, it's sort of a long-winded thing, but, you know, watching mainstream media, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, as much as I love the show, PTI, Around the Horn, like these people are just yelling about teams. And in the NFL, it's awesome because you can just watch three days of this and all of a sudden, you know, Team X is the best team in the history of football and Team Y is the worst team in the history of football. And how could one team ever beat the other team, even though it's a two and a half point spread on Sunday Night Football and the world loads up on the minus two and a half. And guess what? All of a sudden, the underdog wins and everybody loses their money because we've been just hyping it for a week now. 
in the NHL, obviously that doesn't happen in the States, but here in Canada, like that's the type of stuff that happens where people just get drunk on some of these teams. And in the case of the Florida Panthers, there was one national news anchor who just screamed out at one point, the Panthers are for real the other night. And I'm here to tell you the Panthers are not for real. And they're a decent team. They're a very average team. They will play up in certain cases and they will get wins as underdogs against Tampa Bay and maybe Carolina. And we like that. We will play them there, but we will also fade them as big underdogs, right? This is a team that is going to be plus 150 against Tampa Bay and they're going to be minus 170 against Detroit. So like which one is it, right? They can't, there isn't that big of a, of a difference between the best team in the division and the worst team in the division. And we just saw that with Ottawa and Toronto over these last three games um, being, you know, as close as they were from a five on five on ice standpoint. So won't come as a surprise, Detroit plus 150 or better is the price to get. The one thing, a little bit of a detraction, and I think the market might be catching up on this a little bit here is the goaltending situation in Florida. And we've talked about it, the difference between Sergei Bobrovsky, overrated, uh, highly paid, um, not getting it done last season, not getting it done this season, and the you know league minimum type backup goaltender, second year, Chris Dreger, who I think is the better goaltender right now. And I think Florida is starting to realize that as well as he gets the start in the first one against Detroit. So a little bit of a bummer there, strangely enough, that we're getting the backup goaltender for Florida. Maybe it ends up that Dreger's not as good as we think he is, and hopefully that sort of thing comes up and, and is uh, comes to fruition, if you will, on games where we're fading Florida and not games where we think that there's value on Florida as an underdog when he plays, but we'll have to see. Uh, and then Winnipeg-Vancouver is the other one that I wrote a preview for here. Uh, this is a styles-make-fights type of situation, and I think this one should be a pretty good track meet. Um, Winnipeg, I think, you know, there's enough evidence that they are better off when they are playing a up-tempo, uh, let's call it a 6-5 type of a game. I use 6-5 as an example because they literally just won a 6-5 game earlier this week and lost a 3-2 game. Uh, and then Vancouver will play that game as well. And just because they played four games against Calgary, who I think is a defensively oriented team, would sort of bring down your uh, assumption that Vancouver is just going to play sort of crazy type games. I think this one turns into a crazy type game. From a uh, rating standpoint, I actually have Vancouver about 1% better than Winnipeg, 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, both teams' power plays are sort of, you know, in the sort of slightly above average zone in the NHL. So if I'm getting that, you know, a, essentially a pick and price here, minus 110 on either side, there's obviously some value on Vancouver because if it's minus 110 on either side, that's the market telling you there's a 52.4% chance of either team winning. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician here to realize you can't both be 52.4%, but that's obviously where the juice comes in and that's where the sportsbook scoops up that money and puts it in their pocket. Now, which team is more deserving of being a 52.4% win probability? Well, I would have to say it's the team that I have slightly rated higher in the ratings. So if Vancouver is 52.4%, that means by definition that Winnipeg has to be 47.6% chance to win this game. Well, they're getting priced like a 52.4% chance team. So Vancouver, it's a fair price. Winnipeg, it's not a fair price. I think situationally, uh, it's a good spot for Vancouver, having scored a bunch of goals against Calgary in their last game. Uh, so give me Vancouver minus 110 minus 115 is pushing it a little bit 
but um, I think you can make that play. Calgary and Edmonton here is uh, <laughs> kind of a fascinating game. I've already bet Calgary. I bet them as sort of soon as it opened at minus 120 at home against Edmonton last night. And I did so because, listen, it's Calgary. We always see them take money. We always see them kind of end up minus 130, minus 135, minus 140, even sometimes a little bit higher than that as the steam runs up on them. And so I grabbed them right away. Well, now the number is like, my, I've even seen a minus 105, but like minus 115, minus 110, a little bit more. And that, to me, is an indicator that we're getting David Riddick tonight. And he played essentially a period um, against Vancouver, in, you know, once Vancouver sort of took uh, took control of the game against Calgary the other night. So I'm hoping this is maybe an Elvis Merlis-Leakins type of thing where he gets a, you know, period of play and he did well enough and maybe Markstrom, you know, needs a break here and that's why they're going to Riddick. And maybe there's sort of a rally, you know, effect here, especially coming off of a loss, which is a factor as well. So I'm still okay with the play. Obviously, get the best number that you can possibly can get. It's not like the Oilers goaltending situation is particularly, you know, solidified here. Very sketchy that they went back to Mike Smith uh, after benching uh, Koskinen the other night. So they're in just as much of a cluster F um, as uh, as we might be if David Riddick is starting for Calgary. Uh, so we're obviously not getting the benefit of, um, you know, Jacob Markstrom, where I would assume that number would have to be minus 130, 135. If Markstrom happens to play and you're getting minus 105 with Calgary, I kind of don't even care if he's like missing an arm at this point. Like I just think that's too good of a number to pass up so you know uh is what it is from that standpoint um as for this weekend i will have a couple more previews on the action network app obviously uh, a couple more plays on the action network app which where you can always find um the sort of officialness of the hockey plays as well as the college basketball plays but particularly the hockey plays because again this ridiculous i mean it's lack of a policy if you will with the nhl not telling us you know, who the goaltenders are going to be in an appropriate uh, amount of time, at least for my for my liking anyway. Um, having to write these previews, you know, happy to write them, really enjoy doing them. But having to write them the night before when we might not know who the goaltender is and we have, you know, as much as sometimes we definitely know who the goaltender is and then all of a sudden we don't because they change their mind or they don't tell anybody that they're going with the backup goaltender, et cetera, et cetera. So again, critical that you follow along from that standpoint on the app, of course, at Authentic on Twitter as well. Hopefully everybody has a great weekend staying safe, uh, warm and happy and we get all these games played and can enjoy them. Uh, until Monday, I'll see you at the window.